Make money online. What is positioning? Gosh, is that a question for me or is that a question for the audience? I can answer it. I guess if it's a question for me, positioning is the art of saying who you work with, your target market, uh, what you do, the expensive problem you solve, and the skills you use to solve that problem for that target market, your discipline. And the three of these act in balance with each other. You can't be too, I, 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 Philip Morgan and Jonathan Stark referred to it as the triumvirate of positioning. And I have an article coming out soon on that same title, on the same topic, how when it comes to positioning, you're, you're refining who you're speaking to, to better reach them. So we can contrast two different, you know, thought experiment uh, websites here. One is like, hello, I help make websites that uh, improve business. And another is, I will make you more money by A-B testing your software as a service application. And when we look at these two different websites, the second example speaks directly to who uh, uh, you're going to work for, what you're going to do, and the outcome you're going to help them achieve. The first one is basically a bunch of words that we strung together. I will improve your business with websites. It doesn't speak, it speaks to what you do, but it doesn't speak to who you help or how you help them. And there's a weird paradoxical effect here that uh, uh, Philip Morgan, I think, has referred to as the positioning paradox and the fear where people think, if I niche down, if I refine who I'm speaking to down to this narrow subset of my overall audience, you know, we could think of software as a service business owners versus, you know, people who develop Shopify apps. Well, it's a smaller population out there of people who develop Shopify apps, but people aren't speaking directly to them. So if you go out there and say like, hey, my ideal customer is somebody who owns a Shopify app and is looking to increase installs and get more positive reviews. Well, people are going to respond to that. People in your target market are going to respond to that because you're speaking directly to them. If you don't speak directly to them, if you try to speak to everyone, you dilute your message down and it's less effective. Uh, we're both mentors in Brennan Dunn's Double Your Freelancing Clients this season, and we've had a number of students, or I at least have had a number of students who uh, have worked through positioning exercises to refine down their business and said, ah, it's scary, I can't do it, I can't do it. And finally, I'm like, look, listen, it's easy. This is all we're going to do. We're going to change the headline on your website, one line of text. We're just going to change the headline to say who you work best with and the problem you solve for them and maybe optional. We don't even have to include this if we don't want to, if it's already too scary, what you're going to do, how you do it, your discipline. And I have one student in mind in particular who went through this exercise and modified the headline on his site. And we get on a call two weeks later and he's like, so uh, Kai, uh, I've gotten six leads in the last two weeks. And I'm like, tell me more. And he's like, well, they're exactly who I advertise wanting to work with on my website. And I'm like, go on. And uh, people keep referring people to me. And I'm like, why is that? Well, because now that I'm saying exactly who I work for or want to work for and how I could help them, people know who to refer to me because my positioning is that exact and refined. And I'm like, bingo, that's the power of positioning. That's what positioning is. It's saying who you could help and how you could help them in such a way that even if you aren't talking to your ideal customer, they could say, oh, I know somebody you should talk with. Uh, uh, connecting to our last episode where we talked, at, talked about you doubling down on A-B testing and me doubling down on podcasting, I was speaking to a mutual friend of ours and saying like, oh yeah, I'm refining my positioning. I'm further, re I'm 
further going down the rabbit hole of podcasting for positioning. And he was like, oh, I could think of two people you should talk with. And then 30 minutes later, he pings me on Slack and he says, wait, holy shit, this was a perfect example of positioning. Like you told me you were fine positioning and I immediately thought of people you should connect with. So that I think is what positioning is and uh, uh, why positioning is important. Anything I left out? Anything you'd add? I think we recorded the entire episode right there, Kai. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> positioning is what you do and who you do it for. And mm-hmm. they should be as specific as humanly possible. And uh, yeah, I, I, I had a very similar experience with double your freelancing clients. It's easy when you say it that way, and then it's very hard to actually go about doing it. Let's talk about the problem, okay? So I'm an independent freelance consultant, and I just quit my job and started a business. I'm already better than 95% of people out there because I'm calling myself a consultant and running myself as if I'm a business, is great. But then I I go and I say, I'm, let's say I'm a Ruby developer. I'm a Ruby developer. I work for great companies. And that's not positioning. That's, you do Ruby, which is like saying I speak English, which is not useful. Right? Um, And I work for great companies. Would anyone say I work for terrible companies on their their (laughs) website's headline? (laughs) I love, I read for, I, I, there's one Uh, design firm that I actually respect tremendously. Like I love their work and I love the results that they get, but their fucking headline says we work for happy, friendly companies who works for, I work for terrible companies that, uh, take advantage of me and sue me and are the tobacco industry and are strip mining the earth. Like who says that? I want to work with that company. Oh yeah. Yeah. Destroy Western civilization from the inside. (laughs) Nobody does that. But then you turn it, you flip it around and you say, okay, well, then having a specific positioning statement is important. So my biggest client last year was a SaaS business for countertop fabricators. And you think countertop fabricators, those exist? Well, your kitchen had to get built somehow. Your bathroom has a countertop, doesn't it? People go and make custom countertops for these places, and they act as independent contractors. They keep the material on hand and cut it to spec, and they make it look good and install it and quote it out based on the site, right? Easy. They're the most underserved market by technology ever, and they're part of the new home construction industry, which is booming right now, again, after the financial crisis. And, like, you think, like, what what are they going to do? Well, I asked them on the first call I was with, what are your biggest competitors? Uh, Flat Files, Microsoft Excel, um, Post-its on a whiteboard. They do a lot of Post-its on a whiteboard. They're the only solution. They run a multi-million dollar business with a tiny amount of employees and are raking it because they had a specific positioning. And maybe countertop fabrication is not the sexiest sounding industry to you, but they're owning it. And so if, if you think the key to business success is specific positioning, that and you get scared by that, maybe don't run a business. Or maybe get over your problems and then have specific positioning. Because I'll tell you, man, when I started as a mentor for double your freelancing clients, I wish I'd had the headline technique. That's a brilliant idea. What I said was like, positioning is foundational to your business strategy. And so in the first week, we're going to do positioning. 
A positioning statement comprises a market. I work for countertop fabricators. A service you perform for that client. I run a SaaS business that provides quoting, parting, estimation, and job tracking for that client. And maybe a statement of uniqueness. Unlike my competitors, uh, we continually update our product and, uh, you know, we're not, we're more forward thinking technologically, something like that. Um, and, and that's it. That's a positioning statement. And I set out why each one of those parts was important, broke them all apart, did basically what I'm doing on this podcast. And everybody was like, wow, this is great. I'm like, buy your next session in two weeks. You're going to have a positioning statement written. I'm going to go and critique it. And we're just going to go around the room and talk about it. And, and it's one sentence, maybe two. I actually made the statement of uniqueness a, uh, an extra credit thing. And, and, I, and everybody was so pumped. They were really great. And, and we were like, yeah, I'm so excited. Double in your clients. We're going to have 200% more clients than we did before. And they all went off and stared into the void for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but but it's I mean, true. I, yeah. and it was a disaster. Like two people had positioning statements, and they all began with all this like hedging. It was like I don't think this is good. My wife made me sit down and do it. I'm so sorry. And then they turned out like a terrific positioning statement, and then came up with every excuse why they shouldn't follow it. Yep. Yep. And then the, the rest of them were like, I don't know. I I'm an iOS developer. I work for startups <laughs> i help them they're, they're growing they, startups i help them make the ios application i'm like for fuck's sake like <laughs> just in the back of my head and i'm thinking i'm a bad teacher not their bad students because mm -hmm. frankly you i've had good teachers in my life and i know i know what the difference is in that scenario so right. I'm ready to blame myself in this scenario, which is rare, just to be clear. I think we've gone like 18 episodes and make money online. This might be the first time I'm ever blaming myself for anything. Um, it's usually your fault, dear listener. Um, and uh, and I, I go back and start thinking about it. I'm like, what is going on with this? And like you said earlier, Kai, positioning brings about a certain set of anxieties. Why? Mm -hmm. I think it's because it confront it forces us to choose a path when it's easier to remain a generalist. I mean, it's easier it's easiest to hang out a shingle and say like I do stuff, and if people show up, you're able to be like, oh yeah, I do that thing. Let me learn how to do that thing. I'll do that thing for you. But by forcing yourself to choose a positioning, you suddenly acknowledge the fact that there are people out there who are not your ideal client, who are not your best buyers, who are vampires who will drain you of all your energy and you know, put you on three-month runarounds and then not end up being your ideal client. And by acknowledging that positioning is a thing, you have to acknowledge like, well, if I take a position A, I'm excluding people who aren't part of that position. And oh God, that means I'm going to say no to clients. How can I say no to clients, Nick? I need clients. I'm a consultant. I don't, I, don't I want to take everybody on as a client? Yeah. I mean, I, we talked a little bit about being picky in the past. So the answer is no, you don't want to take everybody on as a client. The deeper question is, what if I exclude clients that might become great clients? And it's this anxiety. You're closing off professional opportunities. And that is tremendously scary. So I, I don't have, you know, I have a lot of answers to that. But that's where you get into therapist territory. 
Um, and I'm happy to get into therapist territory to be abundantly clear. <laughs> One of the most common things I see with people when they start to struggle with positioning is, or start with positioning is a tendency to define themselves by the tools they use rather than by the problems they solve for their clients. And the canonical example I use here is, let's imagine an architect and a home builder. And uh, it's one agency does both of these. They'll, they do the, the design and then the building of your house. And you show up and you're like, hello, I would like one house, please. And they're like, that's wonderful. We're so excited to work with you. Let me tell you about the hammers we use. And you're like, no, wait, but I want a house. And they're like, that's great. We have, you know, the uh, Hammer 5000. It, it hits nails like nothing else. And you're like, no, but don't you want to know about the type of house like I as a client want to pay you money for? And they're like, that's great. But let's tell you about the nails we're going to use. It's it's confusing the skills we use as practitioners with an understanding of the business problems we're solving for our clients. And I think it all comes down to like a client intake process and focusing on asking questions and understanding the fundamental problem the client is experiencing because it's at that point you're able to determine if they're right for your positioning. If you're positioning yourself as, you know, I do A-B testing for SaaS companies and help make it make the web suck less, well, if somebody comes to you and they're like, well, we aren't a SaaS company and we don't need A-B testing, Testing, you're like, red buzzer, you are not a good fit for me. Your positioning lets you weed those people out early on. And even more so, that person shows up to your website and they're like, oh, that you don't serve people like me. Great. I don't have to waste my time as a prospect and you won't have your time wasted as a consultant because your positioning is signaling ahead of time who you work best with and how you will work best with them. And then if they move down the funnel, they're implicitly or explicitly acknowledging, okay, these are the table stakes. This is how it's going to be. These are the solutions that they provide. I had a prospect email me recently and they were like, well, hey, I saw your website. I love what you do. Uh, can you do X? And I'm like, I don't do X. My website says I do A, B, and C. Uh, this is how A, B, and C could help you solve your problem because they very kindly explained what their problem was. And it looks like it'll actually turn into a good engagement. But they came to me saying like, well, we want this other thing. And I was able to reference and cite my positioning and say like, listen, I best work with companies who are like this type of company. I best solve this type of problem. It sounds like you're experiencing that type of problem, but the solution you're looking for, the hammer you're looking to buy, well, you don't actually need a hammer. You need something else. So let's back up three steps and talk more about the problem you're experiencing and then talk about what a solution for that might be. And by having that positioning, by being able to reference that positioning, and by being confident enough to say like, listen, the way you're describing this problem, I'm not the right person for it. I'm positioning my business in a different way to help different people. They actually responded back and said like, wow, uh, our clients love when like we when they work with consultants who are strongly opinionated and know what's right and what's not right. Uh, we like that you have that same attitude and mental approach. And you, dear listener, only get there when you're confident in your positioning, when you're able to say like, this is what I do. This is how I help people. And acknowledge that that means there are people out there who you will not be able to help, who you are intentionally excluding from your business. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's to frame it positively, good positioning helps you find your kindred spirits. Right, it helps you find the people that that really resonate with your messaging, and that's not familiar to people. But it's business. You're running a business. You're signifying in some capacity, and if you're not controlling your positioning, people are going to read into other factors. Right? It might be your pedigree. Um, it might be who you got referred in. Um, it might be 
if you're a designer, like your particular style, all of those are disastrous for you as a consultant. Absolutely disastrous. You are bringing business results by creating business strategy. Your style means fuck all. And in fact, it's probably working against you in a project because you need to have the most flexible style imaginable. Look at what Pentagram turns out. Does Michael Beirut have a style? Probably not. He uh, figures out what the client's needs are and then generates work to fulfill those needs. And, and he's one of the most famous designers on the planet. I couldn't peg up, I couldn't look at something and be like, that's a Michael Beirut. It's not art, people. So if you think about it as a developer, okay, I made this cool framework. Great. Well, now you're the framework guy. You just positioned yourself. You don't have to know that you positioned yourself, but if you don't have agency in your business dealings, that will bite you someday. Yep. Yep. Nah, entirely. So, uh, you know, I feel for you, you know? I, I think about... Um, I think about this a lot and I've been thinking about it lately because I cut about two thirds of the offerings off of my website. It's all A-B testing all the time now. I've doubled down on it, right? And so um, this week I thought, well, I could record a video series and I could go and pick apart design details and talk about the interaction design. Pre oh, wait, that doesn't fit my positioning. And that impulse is probably coming out of that fear. And I just recognized it, let it pass like a cloud in the sky, and moved on. The goal is to create things that fulfill your positioning, right? I'm sorry to interrupt. No, 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 no. You, you, you. <clears throat> yeah, the goal is to create things that fulfill your positioning. And if you start getting attracted to, like, the new shiny, that's your fear manifesting itself. I do this as a coach all the time. I keep telling people, like, you can't do that. <laughs> you just built a positioning that went completely contrary to it. It's like, I want to fuck you. Did you pick a positioning or not? Yeah. And it, it, it comes down to that. And I think it comes down to then having to make that hard choice. Like coming out of the mastermind retreat, we both took part in a couple of weeks ago. Like we referenced on the previous episode, we both are doubling down in specific areas of our business and flying back on, uh, uh, my flight to Oregon, I got emails from two prospects who were like, oh, I'd love it, like to work on a project like this. And like, it's outside of the new positioning. And I'm faced with that choice of, do I dilute my positioning by having service offerings that people want to pay money for, but that distract from my core offerings? Or do I want to make it abundantly clear, big blazing neon sign, like I will get you on podcasts. I will do outreach for you. I will help you form partnerships. And well, which is going to be more valuable in the long term? One seems like a short, quick fix of money that, sure, money's great. Who doesn't like money? But suddenly it's not, oh, Kai's the podcast outreach guy. It's, oh, but we worked on an SEO project and you did that trip campaign. And well, what exactly is it you do? And so you're right. You have to curb that impulse to uh, uh, say yes to everything or say yes to every idea. There's, I, I can't remember the source of this quote, but there's a fabulous quote that says, the transition from, you know, being a freelancer to a consultant or to a business owner is realizing that in a year, you are going to have so many exciting opportunities placed in front of you that could make you money. 
And you level up when you realize you could only really say yes to three or five of them. And you have to be ruthless at saying no. Like it could be a great idea. Sure, it's a great idea. Stick it in an Evernote file. Stick it in a text file. Name it goodideas.txt and save it to your desktop. And I every have time one you, of those. <laughs> yeah, and every time you have an idea where it's like, oh, this doesn't quite fit my business. Cool, save it. And like I have that same thing in an Evernote file. And once a year I come back and I'm like, which of these are actually good ideas? Which of these were me just having a stupid idea that I thought was good and decided to sit on? And most of the time I delete three quarters of the ideas, but the ones that are left, those are the ones that I'm able to say, well, like, okay, so let's think about 2017 now. I get to do three things maybe in 2017. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of the idea that we really only get to do like three to four big things in a year. That's all we have mental capacity for and bandwidth for. <laughs> well, what three or four things do I want to do? And what on the list makes the cut? And what doesn't make the cut? And how do we be intentional about that? And how does, how does it connect to positioning? And maybe refining positioning is one of those things, one of those big four things you could do in a year for your business. And if so, good, that's a good thing to focus on. But it also happens at the exclusion of other things. You cannot do all of the things. You could do a very small fraction of the things very well. And if you want to grow a business, it's about doing that small fraction of things very, very well. Yeah, I, I have a text file that's exactly that. But I also, there's there's one thing uh, I learned from a client. Um, they have a notion called the harsh light of day. And when they come up with an idea, they make comedy for a living. And so basically, they might come up with an idea after having a few beers uh, and they might be out with a bunch of friends and it might feel like an in-joke, but they laugh their heads off about it and they think it's amazing. And they write it down and then they expose it to the harsh light of day. So they sleep on it and they wait a day and they look at it and say, oh, what was I thinking? Why was this funny even? I don't even remember saying this. Like, it's horrible. But the ideas that survive the harsh light of day, those are the things that might be of interest to others, right? So they followed those hunches and figured out what they could do about it. And 95% of the time, you're going to throw the idea away. I have an idea that's been an in-joke in my social group for a productized service with Draft for the past two and a half years. And, and Kai, you know what I'm talking about. You've heard about this book. I'm not telling you on the podcast. It's not important. All you need to know is I've had it for two and a half years and it's stupid and I hate it and everyone thinks I should do it. And, and it doesn't fit my positioning anymore because I have new positioning. Da, da, da. So now I have a shield that I can use <laughs> to justify not actually having this. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely this thing where, like, I don't know, you can get distracted by cool ideas, but ideas are worth shit, man. They're not worth anything. It's pursuing and executing the ideas that matters. And having a good idea is never, ever, 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 that is five evers, a good excuse to execute on it. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. have to have a strategy. You're consulting on strategy. Have a strategy of your own for once. My goodness. Yep. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. And, a, and you're right. Positioning is a shield. It's not only a shield against clients, but it's, all, it's also a shield against ideas. It gives you that go, no-go point for everything you do with your business. Does this fit my positioning? If not, well, is this is this something I keep getting asked for that I want to grow and should my positioning evolve? Or 
Am I able to say like, oh, you know what? This doesn't fit my positioning. I'm not going to do it. If I walk into my favorite restaurant in town, a uh, 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 Greek place, and I'm like, I would like some pizza. They're going to be like, we make Greek food. F off, Kai. Like, would you like a would you like a chicken pita? We can make chicken pitas. You get chicken pitas every day. We're not going to make you a pizza. But if a thousand people walk in and they're like, we would really like some pizza. Well, maybe that's an argument to change the positioning. But I mean, I think the restaurant example really makes sense and maybe is an easy way for people to parse positioning when they have trouble understanding it. If you walk into your favorite restaurant and you ask for something that's off the menu, they're going to be like, no, we don't make that here. What do you want that we have? Like, read on the sign, we're a Greek restaurant. That that suddenly makes sense, I think, in a different way where people are able to say like, oh, yeah, positioning lets you tell people what you do well. We make Greek food. And what you don't do, we don't make anything that's not Greek food. And like, would you literally have a menu of services on your website as a consultant or in your restaurant? Well, this is what we can make you. Like, yeah, maybe we might be able to do something custom, but only for our best customers and the people we really like and not that often. So order off the menu, dumbass. What else do you want? So there's a, I was a math major and I'm just going to give a tortured metaphor. One of the hardest problem sets I ever had as a math major was in an applied math course and it was nine problems and you had to integrate a unit cube uh, sphere and cylinder in cubic spherical and cylindrical coordinates. Integrating a sphere in cylindrical coordinates is the mauve Cthulhu. It is literally a round peg in a square hole. You don't want you you have a criteria for what fits as a positioning. The easiest ones were obviously integrating the unit cylinder and cylindrical coordinates. It was three lines long. You did it. It was done, right? Don't grind away to try and fit something into a business that's not structured for it. Don't have the Greek restaurant cook a mapo tofu. Have them make the saganaki. It'll be on fire. You'll be entertained. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and when I look at my business right now, I mean, I've I've spent the last two years repositioning myself. I used to be SEO for e-commerce, and I still have SEO offerings that are bought on occasion. But does it do me more harm or more good to have those search engine optimization offerings available? When somebody shows up, is it better for my business to be like, I do outreach. Here are the four outreach things I do. Here are the two books I've written on outreach. Would you like help getting on podcasts through outreach? That is exactly what I do. Here's the service that does that. Can you not afford my service? Here is the book that explains exactly what I do. And if I have these SEO things in the mix, well, are people going to be like, what exactly does he do here? Does he do everything, other things or not? And I think like this is an argument for cutting services and being ruthless about it. Just because you've done something in the past doesn't mean you always need to continue doing it. And well, like you said, you had just removed a number of services from your website. If a client shows up and is like, I want to throw a lot of money at you for this one-off thing, well, you still have that sales page to show them. I'll still have that sales page to show them. I'm just making sure the public-facing positioning of my business matches what I want to be doing and who I want to be doing it for. Uh you're going to love this. I created a draft dashboard a few months ago, right? It didn't fit mm -hmm. my positioning, so I cut it last weekend. But I still had dashboards for sale through my Kickstarter project. And two people bought them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that was the timeline, right? I removed it from my website, and people are paying me for it. And of course, I'm going to fulfill the work. There's nothing stopping somebody from coming in and being like, Nick D, I want to do some interaction design with you. Great. Wonderful. Fill out this application and schedule a Skype call with me. Like, that's that's it. We're done. But 
you know, people think that positioning means that they have to give up all their work. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. If I came into the Ruby developer's office and said, hey, I just want you to bloviate some code for me, they'd fucking do it. They might charge an extra zero, but they do it. Right. And, and uh, uh, one last point that I'd love to touch on. People always, one fear I see with people is that they feel their positioning needs to be an all or nothing thing that they do immediately. When it really is a slow, iterative transition process. Like I went from double your e-commerce to double your audience and switching from an audience of e-commerce store owners on Shopify to, uh, uh, to consultants and product creators. And I didn't do that overnight. It was like, I'm going to put these websites up in parallel. I'm going to stop advertising double your e-commerce. I'm going to stop going on podcasts talking about e-commerce. I'm going to ramp up my advertising and podcasting about growing your audience and talking to consultants and product creators. And it took 19 months really for me to make that full transition. I still get leads for e-commerce projects. And like I put them through a very, very fine mesh filter to figure out if I want to work with them. And at the end of the day, I'm able to make that decision of yes or no. But it was a long, drawn-out process for the benefit. Like there was no, oh, shut it all down, start over, burn it down. It was let me carefully and slowly do these positioning changes. And now that my positioning is more firmly established on your audience and without reach, well, now I can be more aggressive about cutting out services or adding new services because I have my sort of boundary box defined and I know the space I'm playing in. And like, does a service fit inside that box? Great, let's add it. Does a service not fit inside of the box? Let's kill it. Yeah, you have a criteria. It's a North Star for yourself. And if the positioning isn't working out, abandon the positioning, but don't take that lightly. You're torching your business. Like, I say, you know, you can take off a positioning and try on a new positioning if it's not working out for you. Um, but, you know, you should, again, not take that sort of decision lightly. I think people forget that. So, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, uh, uh, I think we definitely want to do a plug here. Uh, our colleague Philip Morgan has written a wonderful book on positioning at thepositioningmanual.com. He has a free crash course on positioning at positioningcrashcourse.com. Both of these will be in the show notes. Uh, it's it's positioned for, you know, uh, uh, I believe development shop owners, but the principles that he advocates, the strategies he advocates, they're evergreen. They apply. I mean, I do marketing things. They apply to me. They, you do design things. They apply to you. Uh, I recommended my father, who's an attorney, read this book. And he was like, this was a really good book. It helped me understand positioning better. Even if you aren't exactly who his book is positioned for, there's going to be lessons in there that you will be able to apply to your business. Yeah. Just buy everything Philip Morgan is saying. And thank you so much, Philip, for your time today. I really appreciate talking with you about positioning. Ah! <laughs>